If you liked hearing Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson provide secrets on negotiating for total compensation, dealing with microaggressions, or simply being able to just be your authentic self, then welcome to Season 2 of Secrets. Are you one of the only on your job? Do you wonder why the same type of people continue getting promotions? Have you dreamed of getting to the top but don't know how? Welcome to Secrets Season 2, a podcast devoted to showcasing dilemmas faced by underrepresented employees in their quest to climb the career ladder. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, have experienced the corporate grind for more than 20 years. Now they want to share their adventures, pitfalls, and C-suite secrets that they've learned along the way. So let's fill up those cups and get started. Here are your hosts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Secrets. Hey, Keith, my brother, tell me, man, what's going on? What's on your mind? Hey, I'm doing all right, Ricky. It's good to see you today. And I hope everyone had a great Juneteenth holiday. And June is also LGBTQ Pride Month. And so LGBTQ Pride Month occurs in the United States to commemorate the Stonewall Riots, which occurred at the end of June 1969. And as a result, many Pride events are held during this month to recognize the impact that LGBTQ plus people have had in the world. Hey, now look, KP, we live in the Bay Area and it's really a big deal here, right? Yeah, like we is. do things a little bit different out here. COVID has made us have to tone it down just a little bit, yep. <laughs> you know, but we do a big out here. And Harvey Milk was the first openly gay elected official in the history of California. And he is an icon in the San Francisco community. Yeah, I mean, no you can't go in the airport and not see something That's about right. Harvey Milk. the terminal after him, as a matter of yeah, fact. Yeah, absolutely, right? absolutely. So when we say big deal, we're talking about a real big deal. So, But we could not let June go by and not celebrate LGBTQ Pride Month and the contributions made by so many people in the fight for LGBTQ equality. Yeah, no doubt. So true. And a little long fact, Ricky or receipt that I'm going to share right out the gate. Okay, you're cheating. cheating. It's all about the Stonewall riots, right? And Martha P. Johnson, who is a transgender Black woman, and Silvio Rivera, Mm -hmm. who is a transgender Latinx woman, have been fighting for years, years, Ricky, to allow transgender and people of color to gain entry into these all-white gay bars, such as the Stonewall Inn, right? Mm -hmm. And at that time, it was still segregated, the community was. And Black people, Latin people, they weren't even allowed in these white bars. And every time they'd show up and walk in, they would just get kicked out, spit on, wouldn't Mm -hmm. get served, all the shit was going on, right? But then... Initially, when the Stonewall riots happened, all these gay white men tried to blame it on Marsha and Sylvia, you know, when the police raided Stonewall in, right? It so happens that they weren't even there (laughs) when the raid happened and all the rioting started. Again, it was probably some Antifa. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, Somebody throwing a bomb in the building and then blaming it on the Black people, right? And it was funny because then later, what usually happens, you know, once the Stonewall riots started to get a good name behind it and all the progress started happening and all these white men started standing up and trying to take credit for all the aftermath. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a familiar story. Like we've seen this movie before, right? No doubt. No doubt. When you think about Sylvia and and Marsha, those are the people on the photo that sometimes folks are like, who who are these? How did they get those, those people on there? So, which is good history, Mm -hmm. you know, there, right? Here we go with some uh, more whitewashed, 
shenanigans that we talk about, right? <laughs> like some of that shit and shenanigans that so we keep fair. talking about, right? But KP, this is also another one of those taboo topics in the black community, yeah, all right? Yes. And in other communities of color, it's just as bad. So we definitely plan to hone in today on the experience of black LGBTQ employees in the workplace. And we have a special guest with us uh, today, one of my brothers in the struggle for equity in the workplace, Dr. Talarius Heron. The good doctor. Exactly. Better known in our family circle as TK. Now, look, I'm probably going to be a bit disrespectful in trying to give this quick introduction, and it's not on purpose here, because when I say this brother has a long scroll of accolades, Mm -hmm. I'm just being honest about it, right? So I cannot give this adequate justice, you know, how I want to, for what this brother does in his daily uh, fight for workplace equality. But let me give you like the Cliff Notes version, you know, of his resume. So to start with, TK has a bachelor's degree in psychology, two master's degrees in theological studies and human resources design. So respectfully, he has two degrees there. Now I could barely get past one, you know what That's I mean? Right. That's but right. I did, but, I, I, hey, but I, did, I did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did go ahead and get through and not to stop it there. He has a doctorate in psychology for organizational development, and he's currently working on his PhD in religion focused on queer liberation theology specifically focused on predominantly Black queer Pentecostalism. Ooh, he said a mouthful, Rick. Hey, man, yeah, hey. This brother, this brother here. He, he, he doing it. So look, you guys, with no further delay, let me welcome my brother TK to the show. So TK, welcome, welcome, welcome. Like they do in church. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, thank you, Ricky. Thanks for that great introduction, for the invitation. KP, great to um, join you all in to join this conversation. I always tell people it's not uh, what's behind my name, it's what I do and how I use it. Mm -hmm. But I am a lifelong learner and just wanting to do good and uh, be standing the gap for other people. So make sure I'm being prepared so I can help others. Well, good. We're so excited to have you here. And Ricky, in this episode, I'm really excited about this episode. And we're going to switch things up today. I'm actually going to join TK as an interviewee. <laughs> and you're going to have the mic all to yourself. Y'all going to let me do this, are you? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good idea, but we're going to try it. We're going to try it. And TK and I will share some of our personal experiences climbing the corporate ladder as gay black men. And we'll provide some receipts on the experiences of Black LGBTQ and LGBTQ. LGBTQ plus employees in general in the workplace, some of our experiences. And we'll close out today with a double dose of secrets on how LGBTQ plus employees can advocate for themselves and what organizations can do to support the LGBTQ plus employees. So, I mean, so since we're getting ready to get started here, we're going to peel back the onion just a little bit here today. So I'm I've been looking forward to this conversation Mm -hmm. for quite some time. But KP, since we we know a bit about your story, Mm -hmm. let's just begin with our brother TK. TK, tell us your story, man. Where and how did you grow up? What, you know, has your career looked like so far? I mean, especially with all those educational accolades. <laughs> I'm telling y'all, when y'all hear what he's about to tell you, you're going to be like, woo-wee, I need to get off my ass and start doing something, right? <laughs> so, TK, man, tell us about you, brother. What's, what's up? Yeah, TK. I think it all starts back with military. Three of my parents are in the military, so I travel around quite a bit. Both of my step-parents and my dad, so lived all across the U.S., 
lived in Germany, Frankfurt, Germany. That really set the, my worldview and my approach in life, how I show up. So that's early on. But my dad, large family, 13 brothers and sisters. My mom has nine. I didn't grow up being around a large, extended Black family, like that culture. We were in the military. And so it was very diverse in the military. And so I started, it was my sophomore, no, junior year in high school. My dad was being stationed in Korea and we couldn't travel with him at the time. And so we moved to the South. You know, I'm old enough now to understand my surroundings and how people act Mm -hmm. and don't act, right? And so we moved to this small Southern South Carolina town where my grandmother and grandfather lived, Johnson, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about small, one stoplight. Now you're talking about a brother who's coming from living military bases, traveling the world and to uh, relocate to South Carolina was an awakening. From there, you know, I I went to uh, undergrad, got the degree in psychology, and I knew I wasn't done. You know, I was introduced to the church, the black church when Mm -hmm. I moved to South Carolina. Carolina. And um, that's where I learned to lead devotion. The pastor would say, you're going to be my pulpit company. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but um, all right, you know, that that hit me. I'm going to go and learn why I believe what I believe. So that's what brought me out here to California mm-hmm. to go to seminary. I worked through most of my degrees, didn't come for money. And as I was coming out here to California, I was working in HR. So HR has been paying the, the tuition bills over the years. And it was something that I got great at in that psychology, the organizational behavior background, living and growing up in the military. So that was a little bit of context. Coming out to California to do seminary was another layer for me. I actually went to three seminaries before I settled, Mm. two and ended up on the third one. Um, Just from a theology perspective and doctrine perspective to say what I needed at the time. And so someone asked at work, you know, I was climbing the corporate ladder while I was doing these degrees. When I was doing my seminary, the Master in Theological Studies, someone says, um, why are you leaving on Thursdays and Wednesdays early to go up to school? And I, I was kind of like, mind your business. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of like, well, you know, other people, I, you know, I'd be diplomatic. It's like, well, you know, this is a personal goal and a personal interest of mine. I also realized it's like, oh, these people in the majority who's controlling my career who's making decisions about my career, who's paying me, I say, okay, I'm going to play their game. Since they're going to pay for undergrad and grad programs, I'm going to let them pay for another master. So that's why I got two masters. Mm. So I was working on my seminary degree. I said, let me go get this master's degree. So they know that I'm serious about my career. I can chew and walk at the same time. Mm. So um, I went and got that degree. But while I was doing that, I learned that there was times where I had to hide being who I was so that I can actually survive in the corporate context. Mm -hmm. But as I continue to grow, continue to climb, I realized there came a point in my career in my life. I said, you know, I'm not going to hide anymore. If I'm not going to be accepted, then I know that's not an environment that I need to be in. Mm -hmm. And I've been fortunate to have a lot of uh, mentors and sponsors along the way that have opened up their networks where I could be myself. But I always say table stakes is what I do and how I show up. I get work done. That's a little bit about me in a nutshell. Yeah. Hey, look, man, 
I'm appreciative of you telling that story. I mean, you and I have talked on several occasions. I'm like, every time we talk, I'm like mouth open, like, wow, you know, <laughs> like it's something new, but I clearly see what has provided the foundation, you know, for you to be able to do the things that you do. And, and trust me, we're extremely appreciative of everything that you do. As we start kind of thinking through this journey for both you and Keith here, uh, your stories are just like amazing. But again, being gay is like a super taboo topic, like in the black community. Right. And I've seen this firsthand with growing up and my brother, you know, not being able to kind of come out until it was safe, you know, so to speak. Right. Just not a cool feeling, man. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, it's yeah, like I've yeah, always yeah. had um, something there or a part of me that's always kind of thought about this. And, and it's really hit me in a different way. When did you first, like, and I'm, this is a collective question. When did you all first come out and how did your families, you know, handle mm. it? There's multiple coming out stories. And, you know, I must tell your audience, one of the things I constantly got these degrees, as Ricky mentioned, I, I got a doctor in psychology and organization development. And just to tell you a quick story about that, that process, I was pivoting in my HR career and I had some mentors who came out of consulting and they were doing organization development and effectiveness. And so they took me under their wings and I was like, hey, this resonates with me. Let me go build out my toolkit so I can actually do this more. And when I found this program, I'm fortunate in California, there's a few programs. There's not so many doctor programs in organization development. I didn't need a third master. So I'm like, if I'm going to go do it, let's just go do it. So I was fortunate. So when I was in this program, you know, you got to do a dissertation. One of my professors in research methods class, she had, we had to go into a storyboard. And, you know, here I am saying, we're not spending $50,000, $80,000 to do art. I wasn't coming for an art degree. <laughs> I followed the program, was following the process. And what it was is that you represented yourself through images. And you come to class and you tell the class why you had the images. And I had like social justice, I had Martin Luther King, I had dancing and food and travel and religion. And, and once you explain that, then the classmates, you couldn't say anything else. And your classmates and your cohort will then suggest dissertation topics based off who you are. And one of the premises in this program, the professors would say, you need to think about what stage you're going to be on and you need to think about what you're interested in because this is a lot of work. And so you wanna make sure that it's something you wanna spend time researching and talking about. And so one of my classmates said, well, TK, we know everything about you. Why don't you do something about gay men in the workplace? And I'm like, and you know, you're not supposed to say anything. I had to wait, I was biting my tongue because I was ready to respond. After my classmates gave me like 10 or 15 dissertation topics, I said, well, let me respond to the one suggestion about doing some research on gay men who are out in the workplace. I said, first of all, just because I'm black, I don't speak for all black folk. Just because I'm gay, I don't speak for all gay folk. In that visceral reaction, I had to check myself when I was driving home from class that weekend. I asked myself, why was I so defensive? That was like, hey, I know that there's a dearth of research in this area why not? Because this is part of my lived experience. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to bring it. So I did the research. I'm like, hey, my company's paying for this degree. And that's another episode of how you get a company to pay for your doctorate degree. Yeah, yeah. But, so <laughs> the company is paying for this degree and I'm doing something in 
inclusion, diversity is something about who I am and my own life story as it's tied to my career. So I want to tell that quick story around just in the workplace, right, of being out and gay and my own journey. So your answer your question directly when I come out in the workplace, I think it's been a continuum on a continuum about coming out because it's always been, is it safe? I had to get to know certain people that TK was going to be safe, that they were going to hold me, right, and not destroy me in these majority places. And so I would say, gosh, it was after I met my partner. So this was about 2002, 2003. This is a big step. I was out to a few people, but for the company party, company Christmas party, I'm in LA, right? And, and I'm like, hey, you know, LA is a pretty open and progressive city. Why not? People know me. So uh, I invited my partner to come to a Christmas party. Not a lot of people knew. So that was my coming out. It wasn't this gradual kind of like a few people here and there, although the few people didn't know. It was like, here is my partner (laughs) at the Christmas party. So that, that was one, but that was a journey. And I would say each job that I've had or that I've changed I always had to come out, but there was always a period where I had to get to know people to make sure that I was safe and coming out. So I've had to come out often. And I would say daily, even today in my current role, I constantly come out. But that was the first professional, I would say, event, if you will, or time that I came out as a gay man in the workplace. Gotcha. And what about you, Keith? I mean, that's a, that's a great story. And I really appreciate you talking about those stages, because again, being in that safe space and making sure that they're going to protect TK, I think is like one of the most important pieces because all of our listeners don't necessarily have that, that luxury, you know? So again, I appreciate you being able to share this. So Keith, what about you? Like, when did you come out to your family or at work? You know, how did mm-hmm. that, how did that work? Oh, it's very interesting. And, and TK's actually, I mean, he's dead on. You never stop coming out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you remember the first time, but you almost do this all the time because it never stops. And for me, I was a late bloomer. So I didn't even realize I was gay until I was a senior in college. Mm-hmm. So that's the first time when it struck me that I actually might be gay. And I told one of my best friends at the time, and I just kind of left it there right? and really didn't do anything with it. And then I went on to graduate school and like my second semester of graduate school was like the first time I had ever been to a gay bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they had one gay bar in Bloomington, Indiana, where I went to grad school. <laughs> <laughs> I went to that bar for the first time. It was a very interesting experience for me because it was actually like the first time I actually felt I could breathe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt like all of a sudden it was just like I exhaled and danced and had a great time and didn't care. No one cared. And it was just like, ha, huh, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. And so that kind of started my path of just kind of coming out. But it was a long, slow, arduous process of kind of be both me getting in touch with who I was and being comfortable with that. And then slowly but surely bringing others along that path. 
it probably still took me another three years to come out to my parents. <laughs> and it was actually, I didn't come out. They just asked a question. <laughs> my mom just asked a question. You know how black mamas know everything. Mamas know everything. <laughs> so finally she got the courage to ask the question, even though she didn't want to know the answer. She uh-huh. got the courage to ask the question. And I just said, yes. <laughs> right. So that's kind of how I kind of came out. And as part of that journey, and I'll tell you how I came out at work later, because that was quite a production. (laughs) Hey, I want to pick up on something that KP mentioned, because it it resonates. And I think for our listeners and those are in different paths around us, I too came out when I was quote unquote away from home. Mm -hmm. Now, KP, you're saying Indiana I had to go across the pond, as we say. I was over in Amsterdam when I guess my first official coming out. And I didn't plan it, but like you, you it resonates with me. It was at a gay bar. And it was one of the first time here I am in Amsterdam, a long way from home. And to <laughs> your point, I felt free. Like other people introduced me. I wasn't going, it was on vacation. I'm going to go to this gay bar. It was actually a female traveler who was showing an interest in me and I had to say hey wrong team kind of <laughs> she was like I don't know why I'm always attracted to gay men but she was so nice Dutch woman she said you know what let's go out and so she took me to this gay bar mm-hmm. that really was kind of like you know to your point that freedom and just this burden lifting to truly be yourself but it speaks to itself of gay spaces, right, that allow you that safety. And we can't underestimate that, especially within for Black gay folk as well. But also this theme around how you kind of have to get away a little bit to have a little bit of that freedom. And I remember something my grandmother said to me when I went off to do my undergrad. She says, now look at the little bird leaving the the nest. And she was like, you know, you got to get away from family sometime to do good and do great things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that always resonated because she was kind of teasing me a little bit to look at the little bird leaving the nest, that comfort. But also she was saying, sometimes you need to go out, you know, to Mm -hmm. grow because you sometimes don't have that protection or sometimes those barriers that's keeping you within. But, you know, KP reminded me of that time over in Amsterdam listening to this date a little bit, late 90s of Jennifer Lopez waiting for tonight and Mm -hmm. Diana Ross, I'm coming out on the the Mm -hmm. (laughs) glass. You took me back there. (laughs) You all, you know, both have, different stories, but similar experiences and whatnot. And coming out, you know, when you start talking about the Black community or whatever community, you know, you're you're in, but family is one thing, and it's tough enough. But coming out of work is a whole nother beast, right? You know, so we were speaking specifically, TK, you were saying, you know, you had a coworker who was interested, you know, in you. And, you know, then you tell her, you know, no, <laughs> you know, but now you have to like now start figuring out, okay, now what do I do next? So talk to me if you can, both of you about coming out, you know, at work, right? What were some of the questions you were dealing with, like in your mind, as you made that decision to come out, you know, at work? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you about my production now. Okay. So, <laughs> so for like the first five, six years of my career, I was not out at all. I was totally closeted. And I did have a boyfriend at the time, 
Nobody knew about him. No one knew that we were living together. No one knew anything. And I had moved several times, and sometimes he would move, and sometimes he wouldn't move, depending on the circumstances, right? So it was just this whole, I was deep down, you know, under the carpet in the closet Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of a thing. And then when I joined Kodak, and one of the reasons I joined Kodak was because they were like a pioneer around LGBTQ issues, right? And they were one of the first ones to start to really push the envelope in this direction. So when I joined, that kind of, again, gave me a little bit of freedom to start to test the waters, that safety that TK was talking Mm -hmm. about, right? And so I got involved a little bit with the ERG at Kodak and started doing some things there and started to get a little bit of reputation for my advocacy and things like that. And I got involved with Glisten at that time because of Kodak, et cetera. I still was kind of in, kind of out to certain people, you know, depending on the dynamics. The real coming out came when I became chief of staff to the CEO, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And so when I became chief of staff, even before I started the role, I went and had a conversation with the CEO. We were sitting there and he basically said, look, there's a couple things that I want you to know. One, I have zero issue with you being gay, right? And I just want you to know that up front. And I want you to be comfortable in your skin and comfortable with who you are. And if anybody tries to give you any shit about that, you just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's maximum sponsorship at that point, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, there doesn't get any bigger sponsor than the CEO who's about to become your boss to tell you that he's got your back. <laughs> So I said, cool. I felt fantastic about that. Then the communications team of the company comes to me and says, the Advocate magazine wants to do an article. (laughs) (laughs) They're doing this article on up and coming LGBTQ executives, and they want to feature you (laughs) as one of those people, the spotlight. Would you be willing to do that? (laughs) Right. So I said, sure. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Reluctantly, reluctantly. Reluctantly. But, you know, I did the interview and after that, it was no going back because now I'm in a national magazine and talking about all of that stuff. So it was a big production. So that was my big coming out. But I have to say, after doing that, again, exhale, sigh of relief. At this point, everybody in the company knew. So there was nothing... I had to talk about anymore in terms of Mm -hmm. coming out at least for a period of time until I went to another job. Right. That was my experience of coming out of work. Yeah. It's like putting it on the internet. It's there forever. (laughs) It's it's there forever. You know what I'm saying? What about you, TK? Um, Outside of the Amsterdam experience with the coworker there, any cocktail party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You talked about the uh, cocktail party, anything uh, else that made this, like difficult or things that you went through in your mind to kind of come out? There was two things that was always constant for me that says, I, you know, I have to be my authentic self. I used to wear, I don't wear as much my wedding band. Mm-hmm. And so people would make the assumption, oh, how, how long have you and your wife been together? Do you have kids? Where's the pictures of your wife? What did you guys do over the weekend? And that is an nosy, ain't they? Ain't, ain't, like, like, people are fucking nosy, though, aren't they, though? They nosy. You know, but those kind of, if you will, are modern terms of microaggressions and questions. Yeah. I was kind of like, 
again, mind your business. I'm just not that public person, even at work, you know, not that I'm trying to be in a closet. I'm just not, unless I know you, I'm not going to tell you all my business. I'm just not like that. And so I think those questions kept coming at me from different people. And I was like, you know, if they know who I am, I won't get those questions. And I, in saving myself some irritation because I mean, you're making assumptions that you just don't know. So the part I always ask, how much of that's on me or versus they need to mind their own business? But the piece around people always start with heterosexuality, right? Mm-hmm. That the majority, you know, making those assumptions without, you know, you don't know, I could have been bisexual, asexual, could have had some other kind of interest. Mm-hmm. I think for me, getting those type of questions, I constantly had to ask myself, when do I make that leap to make it more public in my workplaces? And so I did make that outside. That was, again, I had mentioned, I'm always coming out, especially when you change jobs. So when I brought my partner to the Christmas party, that was at one company. Then I got into Met Devices, and so I had to start all over. So this is when I was getting a lot of questions, people trying to be nosy, know about my family, my wife, mm-hmm. and my kids and stuff. I had to come out to say, no, actually, I'm in a relationship for a number of years, and it actually is with a man, and no, we don't have kids. That part, and I, I think the piece that set it apart was when I decided to bring a picture of my partner to work so that when people came into my office, it kind of stopped them to even making those assumptions. Although some people still didn't get it. They didn't hear it. It still wasn't as public because I still was getting set up by coworkers. You know, I tell you this quick story and not trying to embarrass anyone if they ever hear this because we never talked about this. Uh-huh. Was getting invited over to someone's house to meet friends and friends of the family. Well, TK found out that it was a setup of another woman to meet a family friend. And I'm sitting there like just eating good old Southern food after church and stuff. And <laughs> family friend comes over who's single and, you know, yeah. TK is a co-worker. He's all good. I'm like, you got three degrees. Four yeah, degrees. yeah, yeah. He's smart. He's smart, man. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a setup. Well, because I didn't. I wasn't open unless I'm like, oh, brother doesn't know. And I didn't realize still, it's like, yeah, we really haven't talked about this. So I had to politely let the young woman, you know, beautiful sister, that <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> so again, for me, it was gradual. And it was at that point at the medical device company where I decided I need to be more visible and vocal. I was a point in my career where I was like, I can make a choice to be in certain environments where I can be open and make those decisions. Because I can also make a decision that as I do my homework and research that if it wasn't, then I'm not going to go there. Because I'm all about being in spaces where I'm celebrated and not tolerated. And that's important. Yeah. Yeah. No, I guess this is just a quick question before we kind of move on to maybe one of the last ones here is, so you all are in positions and have been in positions where you've kind of paved the way and made it easier for other people to come out or to be able to take this journey and to figure out the right ways to be able to do it. But when you think about it, do you feel like coming out at work has helped or hindered your career? And if so, how? 
Don't jump over each other trying to answer the question. But you know, <laughs> that's deep. That's that's a deep one. It's like I had to pause there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got to pause for a second. I don't know if it's hurt me, and you know, I'm glad that I don't know mm-hmm. if it has. There's probably some possibilities in the past of I wasn't that guy who hung out on the golf course mm-hmm. with the guys, guys kind of thing, if you will, but helped. That's an interesting question too. I don't know if it's if it's helped me per se for my career, because TK, as I approach my career, it's like I could just go after and I make it known for what I want Mm -hmm. and what my aspirations are from a career standpoint. But what I would say, me being open and visible has helped others. I've been able to sponsor them and advocate for their career. But that's a good question. I I don't know the answer mm-hmm. to that. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, a fair response. Yeah, and I think reflecting on it myself, hinder again, like TK. I don't know if it has. I mean, if you look at the stats, it probably has. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, mm-hmm. just showing up black. We already know mm-hmm. all the stats around pay and promotions and everything else. So I'm sure it has, but it has. I've never felt like there's been like blatant discrimination or something like that, that I've faced as I climbed the career ladder. In terms of help, I did find that once I came out, my career took off. Mm -hmm. And I think that was because now, because I was able to be more comfortable in my skin, that I pushed even harder for the things that I wanted, Mm -hmm. right? And for the things that, that I could have impact on. And I also utilize my position to advocate and push LGBTQ equality issues in the workplace that benefited the company. You yeah. know? So I think from that standpoint, there was a connection there, a strategic tie there between some of the work that I was doing out in the community and how that was a benefit for the company as well. Mm-hmm. So, so again, I think like being able to be your authentic self to some degree helped your career yeah. blossom, yeah. you know, a bit. Yeah, because you're not constantly now thinking about when do I come out? How do I come yeah. out? Yeah. Navigating those. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to navigate yeah. all of that stuff once I was able to like, come out. One less thing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, multiple personalities and multiple families you're creating to try to, that some people do, trying to keep it to together to put on a persona or image. But KP mentioned something else there, and I talked about this in my research. I think geography has something to do with it, too, mm-hmm. whether it's help or hinder. Because when I did my research, as my professor said, we want you to get out, so you need to narrow. And so most of my research was based in states and men, because it was just focused on out gay men was one of my criteria, that they were mostly in states at that time had workplace protections and would be considered as more progressive states with LGBTQ workplace protections versus I think when we say, is it, does it hinder you? And what I mentioned in some of my research and when I talk is that my brothers and sisters in Texas, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, they're not going to come out. Let's be honest. You have not only workplace, you know, politics, you have still racial issues, you have church issues, you have family issues, you have so much in states that I think geography plays a part in that as well, which also translates to the type of companies is another thing I think about in the industries you're in. 
if you're in oil and gas versus if you're in financial services who've been on this journey of workplace equality a whole lot longer than, let's say, those in medical devices or those in agribusiness. So I think those kind of, when I think about my own career and impact of whether or not it's helped or hurt, I think two things for me that I have to always keep in mind is that if it was geography that actually helped me not to face some of the issues and some real discrimination, latent people getting fired and, and losing mm-hmm. their livelihood and some other geographies or industries and get away with it. Right. So I, I'll just lift that up. It, it made me yeah. think about that. No, it's good. And it, it triggered something with me too, because you're exactly right. When I talked about the first six or seven years of my career, it was all in the Midwest. So I was in Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, you know, very pretty conservative areas. I was working in manufacturing facilities, yeah. you know, in these small towns. And then I left and went to New York to join Kodak, right? And then, you know, been out here in California and I was in Seattle for a while. So you're right. The places where I was, where I felt I had those protections and the climate was more progressive, I felt freer to be myself. So, I mean, this is this is great. I mean, and this is like secrets gold over here we're getting today, right? I'm thinking about this from a totally different standpoint. This has been my last question. I know I can keep on asking y'all questions forever. You know, especially now as we see like, a ton of performative acts. So, you know, our sister Amber Cabral was talking about this, but mm-hmm. ever since she said it, I see shit all the time. Yeah, you know you what I'm saying? Like, it like, it's like, I keep saying, once you see something, it's hard to unsee it. But, you know, we see a ton of performative acts where corporate America does a lot of commercializing of events to make themselves look or feel better with whether that be like special posts you know, whether it be Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever it is, changing their logos with the colors of the pride flag during the month of June. But like behind the scenes, like a lot of shit really isn't changing. Right. So but do you think corporate American organizations are doing enough, you know, for LGBTQ plus employees in general and for people of color specifically who fit within this family? Like, how do you all feel about corporate America's either stance or their level of uh, activity or receipts. How do you all feel about that? TK, I'll start with you. I would want to acknowledge the progress that has been made, right? Mm-hmm. That I, I would say that we definitely have come a long way. However, in the U.S. and given the international audience, you know, we still don't have a national equality act. It's been stuck. It's been introduced in so many <laughs> different sessions in Congress over the years. And we're, mm-hmm. we're still on the brink of hopefully it will pass. So we don't have this patchwork of job protections for people from the LGBTQ community. So there is progress. I, I would probably say there it has kind of stagnated, right? Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't put it so much on the company as well. I think there's another element to it. It is around culture. It is around actions. But I would also say there's a point of who's visible and vocal, Mm-hmm. So who's making it safe for people to come out, just like KP mentioned his CEO, where those signals are from the top to say, hey, it is a safe place to come out. Because I know even in my own work, one thing I know is that I know who's out, but I'm also aware of who's not out and why mm-hmm. and what culture that they even in larger companies, you can still have 
hey, we have non-discrimination policy, you know, we have a LGBTQ ERG group. But if you're a gay person living in Mississippi going to work in a manufacturing site, your boss can make your life a living hell. Yeah, and you do yeah. not have state protections. So I know more and more companies are speaking out, like all these trans bills that's being passed in some of these state houses in the U.S., but we also need to talk about the international laws, too. And international world, you would be, frankly, killed for being gay. Yeah. Like, it's not, you know, let, let alone being in the workplace. So I do think it's kind of like this stagnated piece, but I will also say how much of it is the culture within these organizations where gay folks feel safe to come out so that we can actually as be stand up and be counted so that we can actually change things. It's typically when there's an issue or a problem where people are like, hey, raise their voice. I have a little bit of a balanced view on someone mm-hmm. how much in the community is willing to be open and visible to actually push these organizations to do more. And then the question is like, what is that more? If you're not vocal and visible, we can't look at your salary that you're being paid less than someone who is not an LGBT, and it may be another issue. That's a nuanced response, but my overall, I think we have made progress, but there's still a ways to go. And I look at that there's there's people in majority of the states across the U.S. and, and countries around the world, let alone that being gay is still criminalized and can be paid by death. No, that's a good point. I appreciate you, you know, again, bringing another viewpoint into this that is just not surface. So I appreciate that, TK. What about you? And I agree with TK around corporate America has made a ton of progress and corporate America has probably helped push a lot of the LGBTQ equality progress forward. And I'll just give you an example People may not have heard of the uh, Corporate Equality Index that comes out every year from the Human Rights Campaign, right? Mm -hmm. I was actually on the committee uh, for the Corporate Equality Index. I wasn't there for the first version when it was first launched, but we did a full rewrite of the CEI when I was on the committee that introduced concepts around transgender because the first CEI really was all about gay and lesbian. There wasn't anything about bisexual or transgender issues in the CEI. And so the committee, we rewrote everything to include transgender issues, things around healthcare, things around marriage benefits, taxation, all those types of things. And by doing that, corporations, they love scorekeeping and they wanted to be a hundred. They didn't want to be seen as a homophobic organization. Right. And so By putting that pressure in the system, then they put pressure on the insurance companies to start offering coverage for transgender employees. And all of these things started to snowball until it got to the marriage equality thing. And it kind of got all of that stuff over the hump because of the corporate equality index and corporations really trying to make sure that they weren't seen as homophobic organizations. Cool. Now, look, you know, we only see the surface, you know, sometimes yes. and sometimes we're yes. not able to peel back the onion. But I also learned a couple of new things about you, brothers, you know, too here. <laughs> right. You know, in terms of like the impact that you have. But as I'm thinking about like the impact here, after listening to you all's experiences, I mean, it's clear to me that the impact on the LGBTQ plus BIPOC employees, it's like super complex. Right. It's super, super complex. I do think that we need to do more 
to try to understand this, the, the complexities, mm-hmm. you know, here rather than just give up and say it's complex. Right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you are managing like so many different intersectionalities and that has a tremendous impact on your career trajectory. Not to mention, like, I mean, we are in, you know, the month of June. So mm-hmm. we're talking about people's mental capacity, mm-hmm. you know, here too. Right. So I think that the impact is clear to me, like the intersectionality piece we really need to, you know, kind of deal with is because oh, yeah. it does have a huge impact. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, organizations are going to have to solve for these intersectionalities. They truly want to have impact on equity and inclusion at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Right. And one of the things I wanted to also bring up, especially within the LGBTQ community, when we were talking about race, is the fact that when you compare the progress that's been made in the LGBTQ community, quote unquote, versus like Black issues or Hispanic issues, the big difference there is that there are white gay men. <laughs> Right. And so yeah. because they have yeah. money and power and the voice, they can push and push some mm-hmm. of these things over the top yeah. where we still struggle with black and Latino and other communities of color. Right. And you have these white gay men who are funding the LGBTQ movement. And so what do you think is going to get resolved in the LGBTQ community? Yeah. When sure. you got those people paying for the stuff, which is still why you have Black LGBTQ people and Black trans women and, you know, other LGBTQ people of color who are suffering (laughs) despite all of this progress at the end of the day. So, yeah, I mean, I think Uh, Keith is just dropping. He's just dropping these truth bombs out here. (laughs) Yeah, I I want to pick it up because you're getting to some economics in there, too. It's like who's funding these things and, you know, really just calling out the truth of who has the mic. Right? Yeah. Who has the mic and who has the pocketbooks that's setting and driving the agenda. And not only at the policy level, that happens in corporations too. And so one of my things as well, like we're going to get to this, is like, what are organizations doing or should be doing? And I always look around, it's like, who's at the table? More importantly, who's not? Yeah. And, you know, who's leading the agenda and setting the agenda that makes some folks uncomfortable because, you know, once people have power, they're not going to give it up too easily. You yeah. know, they're going to come up in here being all messy with us. We like it the way it is. Hey, hey, but, but but you know what, TK, as you're saying that, like, I mean, let's just let's just keep it 100. I mean, this is why we started this in the first place is we can talk about some unspoken secrets Mm, like mm, I did that spoken yeah. secrets, you know, that's out there that people just aren't willing to talk about, right? So yep, we have yep. the platform and we want to be able to kind of speak about it. But I'm thinking about some of the negative consequences, some of the potential negative uh, consequences that that are out there when we continue to dismiss LGBTQ plus voices like in the workplace. I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me, you know, TK, is you were talking about a couple of things here is, what is a potential negative consequence that comes to mind for you? You know, as we start thinking about if we don't listen to these voices in the workplace, like what's something that comes to mind for you? Yeah, you know, there's a few. Number one, we talked a little bit about benefits. You referenced benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, the benefits of people who may are be HRV positive, looking for medicine, you know, doctor's appointments, 
We talk about mental health services, having someone that's culturally competent that you're comfortable going to talk through some issues. I think those are some true impacts. And at the, I would say the end of that continuum, the worst thing is what I would say, passive, not active discrimination Mm -hmm. that makes Mm -hmm. someone's life not just tough, but ends up being performance issues or losing their job. So those are some true, like you asked me about me, I kind of put it in a different perspective. You know, I've had a decent career and I have a network, but I'm also comfortable and in a place in my career, again, going back to if I see something or I'm not treated, I'm fortunate enough that I do have options. Not everyone have options. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the negative impact, you know, it could lead to someone's livelihood. So which reinforces why people stay in a closet, while people don't raise these issues, especially if the culture is not there. So those are the, the negative impacts of organizations. And I think, you know, as KP mentioned, like the CEI index, you know, when people are doing their homework about companies, we can see the, the messages and statements and the scoring, but you can have a hundred on the CEI index and have a location in Biloxi, Mississippi, and those queer folk down there are not going to come out and say anything. That's right. Right. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about negative impacts in organizations, we need senior leaders to understand those dynamics and where they have locations and where their employees are so that they can really drive and have a consistent experience for people and so that the career progression isn't negatively impacted. So there's a lot there to unpack. That. No, I, I appreciate that, TK. I mean, I think that, again, not hearing all those voices and perspectives and around all those policies, and I mean, those are things again, and we we kind of gloss over, you know, sometimes. So I appreciate you highlighting that. One of the a, a negative um, impact for me is like, it's just like this continuation. And I know the majority, well, I can't even say the majority. I should say the people in power, okay? Because the people in power aren't the majority anymore. But anyways, that's another story, right? <laughs> but like, there's just this continuation of oppressive and homophobic practices and systems. It just keeps perpetuating, right? Like, I think that if we don't deal with this, and to your point, you know, work on some of these policies and some of these services and whatnot, we just keep on with this continuation of the oppressive behaviors and results that we see, you know, from it. So I won't mm-hmm. soapbox this, but you know how <laughs> I feel about the man and his oppressive ways. I won't soapbox it, but I do think that's like a huge issue. You know, for no, it's true. And, you know, I'm I'm the finance guy, so I'll bring it back to economics like TK was was starting. When you dismiss our voices from the table, this is also a market opportunity, lost market opportunity. Right. The LGBTQ plus community has trillions of dollars of purchasing power. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to dismiss or be performative or whatever, you're missing out on a huge opportunity there to really tap in and, and increase your bottom line. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, the money is king, right? The money is power. When you start hitting people's pockets, they start paying attention. That's right. Like, no, wait, 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 wait. What were you saying again? Hold on a minute. I wasn't paying attention before, you know? But again, look, we're up here sharing stories. We're talking about how this has impacted you all and what we've seen, you know, as uh, leaders. But I think it's time to, like, actually, Keith, hit them with this, what our favorite part of the show here when we 
start hitting them with the receipts. Yeah, that data don't lie. We can't make shit up, okay? I didn't write every article that we're finding and all of the facts, right? Somebody's been researching this. And our brother TK here has been going to school for some of he this got, stuff, he right? Got a PhD yeah, in this stuff. Yeah. Maybe he, he should do all the receipts. He's, he's our human receipt, you know, person right now. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to share some receipts on the experiences of LGBTQ plus employees in the workplace. And then we'll share a receipt on the economic power that Keith was just speaking about of the LGBTQ plus community. So with the receipt number one, you know, Keith, why don't you just jump in that way? Yeah, well, so receipt number one, according to a report uh, released by a coalition of LGBTQ organizations, LGBTQ workers of color are the most disadvantaged workers in America. So this kind of gets to what TK was talking about, too. I mean, you think about Mississippi and the South and all these other places that are oppressed. So this group is most disadvantaged. So we're not talking about like, so it's tough enough to be disadvantaged and be in one of those protected classes, right? right? Mm -hmm. But then when you throw the and one on there, you say LGBTQ plus, right? And now, that. now, yeah, yeah, now, <laughs> now is when the real digging out of the hole starts. That's right. And the bill on what TK was, he, he was already spitting this knowledge. What you know, but he can't help himself. So, due to discrimination combined with the lack of workplace protections, yeah, unequal job benefits and taxation, and unsafe and under resourced schools, LGBTQ people of color face extraordinarily high rates of unemployment and poverty. In fact, about a third of LGBTQ people of color experience poverty and about one fifth or 20% of LGBTQ Americans have experienced discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity when applying for jobs. And 32% of LGBT people of color report discrimination on a consistent basis. <sighs> Golly, I mean, this is like one of those things where you just call it like this just weighs on you. You know what I mean? But but again, we gloss over this stuff because all you got to do, you know, Keith, is just change your logo on LinkedIn and have it be the, the pride flag. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and everything no. is good. It's rainbow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything is good. You got to deal with the facts. You, We do that for the month of June. We ain't got to talk about this till next right. June. Next <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So look, man, I mean, that's an incredible receipt. Let me give you one more. So receipt number two, according to a Catalyst survey, 22% of LGBTQ Americans have not been paid equally or promoted at the same rate as their peers. But I'm not done, okay? Mm -hmm. LGBTQ people are often subjected to biased jokes with 53% having uh, heard lesbian or gay jokes. 37% have heard bisexual jokes and 41% have heard transgender jokes. Yeah. So if this is the shit that's happening, mm -hmm. okay, at the water cooler, at the dinners, on the golf course, on the golf course <laughs> everything else. In the gym. And we're talking about having an inclusive environment. Mm -hmm. Like really. With 100% CEI score. That's you right. get it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, seriously? Mm -hmm. Seriously? Right. Oh, man. Okay. All right. All right. I'm gonna try not to get emotional. TK, since you're our special guest today, well, you like family over here with the shit you've been saying. Yeah, yeah. So, so hit us with receipt number three, if you can. Yeah, you know, thanks, Ricky. Receipt number three, the report that Keith mentioned earlier shows that LGBTQ plus workers of color are at significant risk of being unemployed. Damn. LGBTQ plus 
people of color have higher rates of unemployment compared to non-LGBTQ plus people of color. In addition, unemployment rates for transgender people of color have reached as high as four times the national unemployment rate. You know, Ricky, on that receipt, I'll give you an anecdotal personal example. I heard a friend tell me how there was a transgender female that came into their office to interview for a role and that, you know, behind the scenes, the interviewers was laughing at her and says that we won't hire any he sheath. And so my friend was telling me this story and I'm thinking, here is a woman who's trying to make a living mm-hmm. and she would never know that happened. But you have to think about that our transgender, as that receipt said, our transgender people of color are having a four times as high as unemployment for them. And it's those type of examples. And they know after to go interview after interview, it's like, I'm not getting a job. And then that leads to the homelessness that leads to, you know, the economic issues. So I, I just, you know, as I was looking at that receipt, I personally have some anecdotal experience with that. Yeah. And it leads to a lot of them getting into sex work and things like yes, that yeah. because they don't get these opportunities, but four times the national unemployment rate. I mean, we're at 6% unemployment. So yeah, a 24% unemployment rate. Come on. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I, I think that's huge. And, and, and the fact that we're talking about, you know, a friend who can't get a job or, we, you know, you, we know people out there who are struggling with, look, now we all have family members who ain't trying to find work. Right. Okay, and they're they not even tripping off of finding a job, but we have people out there who are trying, mm-hmm. and there are things that are out of their span of control, per se, you know, where they don't have the protections and everything else, and they can't even get it, Right. you know? Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. So now, look, receipt number four, and we're going to hit y'all with two more receipts, yeah. okay? Yeah. So receipt number four, in that same study, TK, it showed that the LGBTQ plus workers of color are at a significant risk of poverty. I mean, we're talking about... And again, it won't take too many situations, whether it be a health situation, an issue with your car or something with your house or COVID Mm -hmm. for you to damn near be in poverty. Right. Mm -hmm. So research shows that LGBTQ plus people of color and particularly black LGBTQ people are at much higher risk of poverty than non LGBT people. For example, black same sex couples have poverty rates at least twice the rate of black opposite sex married couples. So that's 18% versus 8%. I can't make this shit up, man. I mean, I'm just, again, That's this is why we provide you with the receipts. So Keith, hit us with a uh, receipt yeah, number five. The last one is uh, receipt number five, where I talked about the purchasing power before, but according to entrepreneurship.com, the LGBT plus community has $3.7 trillion in purchasing power. So this is, I mean, this is a consumer segment. You can't ignore this if you have a growth strategy. If you're trying to grow your business, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to figure this out at some point. Yeah, I mean, and it's crazy is once you finally start hitting corporate America in the pocket, I mean, it's not by accident that you see mixed race commercials out there now it's not a single commercial that you'll see that ain't a mixed race and matter of fact i just saw an insurance commercial where it was finally a black and white gay couple Mm -hmm. you know on the commercial i'm like it took this long right like it's just it's crazy you know so you start thinking about that so these receipts are things that we can't you know necessarily uh deny right but we've been talking all of this time about personal experiences we've talked about the receipts like these are things you can't make up 
So now let's just talk about, let's shift into like, to the secrets part of this. And we have a double dose of secrets for you today. And here are the three secrets that LGBTQ employees can take to boost your career, right? So the three are find allies, advocates, and sponsors. Number two, come out. If you're in a safe place, come out. Number three, engage in or start your company's LGBTQ plus employee resource group. So for secret number one, TK, if you can, maybe uh, take the lead on what we mean by find allies, advocates, and sponsors. Yeah, if you may, in the spirit of just uh, adding a little bit on, in addition to finding, when you're in a position and have a platform of being an ally, yes, sponsor, and advocate. But in terms of finding them, if you're in a large enough company that has an employee resource group, that's where you should start, right? Those are already people who, let's say, creates a safe space, who's publicly raising their hand that they're advocates. And so I would say start there. If you're not in an organization that has an employee resource group for LGBTQ folks, you know, there's organizations out there like Out and Equal, Workplace for the U.S., and it's global too, We're getting engaged with those, the gay chamber. You know, those are organizations that I would say, hey, start networking. So you have people that not only are tied to businesses, right, in corporate America, but also your experience as an LGBTQ plus person. So those are a couple of things where I say when you find, you can start with your company. If your company doesn't have it, there's organizations like Out and Equal, the Gay Chamber, your local LGBT center. Those are where you're going to find some allies and advocates to help you along the way in your journey. And then when you're at that place, right, in that position and have a platform to make sure that you're visible and vocal ally, advocate, and sponsor for others. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate no, that's that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And secret number two, building on what TK was just talking about and what Ricky said, if it's safe, come out. Right. I mean, I talked earlier about how coming out released me and really mm-hmm. turbocharged my career. And I know this is a hugely tough and personal decision. I've come to realize over time that the benefits outweigh those negatives. And now we see that you know, poll just came out where over 75% of people in the U.S. are now supporting marriage equality. So I guess, you know, the more of us that show up and show out, mm-hmm. the more likely we're able to move the needle going forward. So mm-hmm. keep elevating your voice. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, because, again, the numbers don't lie. Right. <laughs> you know, 75%. So secret number three, engage in or start your LGBTQ plus employee resource group or ERG. Look, I serve, and this is not about me, but I'm Mm -hmm. trying to explain, uh, show the example of how easy this can Mm -hmm. actually be, right? I serve as the executive champion for uh, the LGBT plus ERG, you know, at my organization. What this does for me specifically, okay, is it keeps me close to the issues internal to the organization within the community that serves barriers for equality for LGBTQ plus employees. As a leader, it's imperative to educate yourself through education, mm-hmm. empathy, and just plain sweat equity, yeah. you know, as an ally. It's mm-hmm. easy to say you're an ally, but when's the last time you hired somebody? That's right. You know, what does your mentee list look like? Mm-hmm. What does your succession plan look like? So, I mean, it's one thing to say you're an ally, but it's another thing that, like we say, right. to have some receipts. That's right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So without 
you know, this type of involvement, there is a chance that your inactivity as a leader can tell another story about you, mm-hmm. you know, that may not be equal to who you really are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. unpack that, you know, That's when right. you when you get a chance, right? Mm-hmm. Unpack that piece there. Yeah, so secret. as we're getting ready to kind of move into the other one. So so TK for organizations, we'll kind of maybe give you the uh, front seat, you know, on this one here, but what are a few secrets? And I know in your seat today, okay, you see an awful lot and you have visibility to in terms of benchmarking what other organizations are doing right now. But what would you suggest in terms of a secret that can be implemented to support LGBTQ plus employees by organizations? I have a few. The first one that comes in mind, you know, we talked about being this visible having organizations be visible about their support. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we clown on the statements. Those external statements do serve a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. But I would say taking the statements a step further, it's like, does your outside actually align to your inside? Mm-hmm. And so within organizations, when you have these speaker panels or, you know, or we bring in these diverse speakers of these big names for, you know, headlining different leadership events and stuff. The question is, are you considering someone from the LGBTQ communities to be on these and have those platforms? So that's one thing to challenge organizations. The second one is like, we go back to where organization investing. So let's go outside. So are they investing in the community for these LGBTQ or employees, but for these communities? There's two things to this one. I would say the usual suspects, the national ones, the large ones that are well-funded, but also do fundraising. But are you also in those smaller, I would say, focus organizations that's doing the work, doing the hard, like grinding, but they may not have the 50 million, $100 million budgets of some of these larger established, and dare I say, majority run LGBT organizations versus those that may be catered or focus on the Hispanic, Latino, Latino LGBT community or the Black LGBTQ community or the Two-Spirit LGBTQ community or the Asian LGBTQ community. So are you investing in those organizations for those people also in your organization. Now, I will also say those are organizations on Let's Advance. I also would say our organizations really lean in and using the power of the purse of really advancing policy in Washington or globally. Mm-hmm. And so having your government affairs and your senior leaders really stepping up and saying we're advocating for policy change, not only just on the local and state side, but on the national side. And the last thing I would say internally, my last secret for organizations is investing your people of differentiated development. Now, part of this is that you have to know to actually spend and invest But when people do make it known that they're part of the LGBT community, there are some differentiated development programs for their careers that, again, creates that safe space for them to thrive and learn and build those skill sets so that they can advance. I thought I had four. I have one more. Mm -hmm. Mental health. That Mm -hmm. was another one, investing in mental health. I kind of alluded to having cultural competent leaders, but also when you think about where you have these EAP employee Mm -hmm. assistant Mm -hmm. programs and you go and you can get two or three sessions and then they refer you out. But those initial sessions and who's on those lists Mm -hmm. of those referrals, do you have 
LGBTQ professionals, mental health, family, and then you go, do you have African-American, Black, do you have Asian? So really pressure testing the mental health support because that helps so much. And I can keep going. I can go on the financial side. Hey, 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 I'm going hey. to stop and hand over to Mike. <laughs> TK, I mean, that was that was amazing advice for organizations. And, and we could only wish that most organizations would take you up on some of that stuff because they really moved the needle. As we wrap up here, if you can find more resources on what we've talked about today, those secrets, some of the receipts, you can just go to our website, secrets.com, and also look in the show notes for this episode. So we'll have some resources in there for you, for you to do some more deep diving. And look, man, this episode has been so educational. I mean, I don't understand if people really know what just happened today. Like, you know what I mean? Like all of the resources just the flat out inspiration, you know, that we had on here today. But I just want to just personally thank, you know, both TK and KP. I mean, these are like my brothers in the struggle, man. Like I could call on these cats at any time of the day and night and they will always answer the call. But just sharing their stories has just been like impactful. So as impactful as it has been to me, I hope too that one of or some of our listeners can feel this same level of comfort, you know, with these brothers as well. And their experiences also point out just how much work we still need to do to build a truly inclusive environment for our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. Thanks to all of our listeners out there. We have only one episode one actually left in the season, this. right? In season two, but keep tuning in and sending us your show ideas as we gear up for season three. But again, I can't even speak to how amazing this conversation has really been. I think we actually are just kind of peeling back the we, onion just, just a, a bit. bit. You know right. what I'm saying? That's We're giving right. you yeah. just a peek, That's but right. I think we've established that TK need to come on the show. More I often. think so. I think, <laughs> come on. <laughs> That's right. And I'll add my thanks to you, TK, as well. It was a pleasure sharing this platform with you today. And I like like the conversation that we had. And it was great to hear how our experiences were both different, but similar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so having that fellowship was great for me. And so, again, if you like what we are giving you here on Secrets, here's how you can help us out. First, stock up on that merch. For Pride Month, we've launched some hot LGBTQ Pride designs on our site, and we're donating 25% of the proceeds this month from anything you purchase. It doesn't even have to be Pride stuff, but anything you purchase this month, we'll donate 25% to GLSEN and to the Empowerment Program at the Center for Human Development. Both of these organizations are working to make healthy, safe places for LGBTQ youth where they can thrive and be their authentic selves. And we just added some pan-African designs on that site too. So if you don't want no prize stuff, get that pan-African stuff or whatever else you want and and help these organizations out with 25% coming back to them. And as we're gearing up for our summer break, get your friends and colleagues to listen in and to catch up. If you haven't been with us every week, use that time to catch up while we're on break and then get on Apple and write us a review. It'll really help. Yeah. I mean, that's the algorithm. We can't front on the algorithm, right? We got to go ahead and get in there and play the game. But look, you know, you guys, KP and TK, this episode has been filled with, it's filled me with pride, but it's also dropped so many gems. I am going to have to go back and listen to this. My 
myself a few times, but it's also emptied my cup. I'm over here yeah, looking yeah, at this yeah, thing over here, man. Over the ice, ain't no ice, <laughs> ice in the cup. It. Yeah, ain't no ice in the cup, man. I'm over here drinking on on hope. I'm drinking hope right now, <laughs> right? But before we sign off, I just want to remind all of our listeners please, please, please go out there and get vaccinated. I know everybody is out there celebrating like what pandemic, That's you know right. what I'm saying? But, July yeah, but yeah, exactly. We're out there trying to turn up and we see a whole bunch of fashion felons out there right. showing mid drifts and everything else. Now, I know from COVID, I done picked up a couple of LBs and That's OZs. Right. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. so yeah. I'm not going to go out there and show off nothing, no, you know? I go, I go, but no. before I do go out there, I just want to make sure I get that. I'm vaccinated, yeah. but I want to make sure everybody else gets vaccinated, right? This is no, real no. serious, and this is about the village, right? No, no, but no. remember, we are just so, so close. So go out there and handle your business. And again, I want to say thank you, everyone, for joining in. Thank you, TK, my brother, for, you know, talking to us today, man. We... This has been like truly, truly like insightful, man, and encouraging, you know, at the same time. So we appreciate you for being able to join in with us today. Well, thank you for the invitation. And uh, thank you for everything that you and KP are doing for the community and for the village. So thanks for the invite. We're trying to do it, man. So hey, remember Secrets Family, when we share, you transform. That's right. Take care, everybody. Peace. Thank you all for listening today. Hopefully you gained a secret or two that can be applied as your journey continues. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, and donate via Patreon. Check us out at www.secrets.com to get more information about our secret services. Don't forget to tune in next time for more Hot Fire. Until then, cheers. Cheers.